Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Hey, everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. On the Bechdel cast, the questions asked if movies have women in them. Are all their discussions just boyfriends and husbands, or do they have individualism? The patriarchy's effing vast. Start changing it with the Bechdel cast. Um, hey, hey, Jamie. Yes, Caitlin. I made some barbecue... And also, a man might be missing, but the two things have nothing to do with each other. Do you want some of my barbecue that I made? I'm going vegan. Is it vegan? It's, well, um... Is there a reason it wouldn't be vegan? Well, barbecue tends to have animal byproducts. (laughs) Okay, okay, you know what? You sold me. I'll try it. Okay, it's you're gonna love it. It's the tastiest barbecue you've ever had. Wow, taste it's a, it's a little tough. This has been a fun role play. <laughs> <laughs> we could we could have just kept going. With we, this and why don't scene. we? Uh, <laughs> what uh, an episode we have for you today. This is the Bechdel test. No, no. Oh my god, I oh, sound Jamie. I sound like people who are reviewing us who haven't actually listened to the show. They're like, it's the Bechdel <laughs> test? <laughs> it's the Bechdel test podcast, right? That's what it's called? I'm a huge fan. It's the Bechdel test? <laughs> you're just like, oh, you're a liar. Okay. Um, how polite. Southern politeness. Uh, mm-hmm. this, this is our show where um, we use the Bechdel test as a jumping off point for discussion to have an intersectional conversation about uh, some of your favorite movies in the entire world. Truly. Yes. Well, what what on earth is the Bechdel test, though? Well, if you don't know what the Bechdel test is, does that ever happen to you, Caitlin? Like, I feel like some uh, that has happened to me many times. Where people don't know and I have to explain it? No, that they're pretending to know, but they're calling it the Bechdel test over and over and over. And it's very clear that they haven't listened to the show, which is fine. Just say that. For the name of the podcast? Yeah. 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 All the time. I We've like done. I'm a huge fan. We've been guests on other people's podcasts where they're like, she's the host of the Bechdel podcast. Yes. Or the Be- I mean, they're like not wrong, but it's not right. The best one is 
when we did a show in London, Bragg, remember going places, uh, and uh-huh. they put out a marquee that said the Women in Film podcast, and we're like, mm-hmm. well, this is all. This is again, it's not incorrect, but it's weird to list a theme instead of a title. Um, right. In any case, uh, the Bechtel test <laughs> is a media metric invented by queer cartoonist Alison Bechtel, sometimes called the Bechtel Wallace test, that requires. The following, for our purposes, there's many permutations mm-hmm. of this, but for us, mm-hmm. um, we need two non-male characters to speak to each other. Uh, they also have to have names. I'd like to go back. Mm-hmm. Uh, they speak to each other about <laughs> something other than a male character for two lines of dialogue. Does it usually happen in movies? No. Not a lot. Today? Yeah. 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 <laughs> That's my other favorite mistake that people make when they explain my podcast to me is that they say oh yeah you and Caitlin talk about whether a movie passes the Bechtel test for two hours I'm like (laughs) what would that conversation be like I don't know we go through every single minute of the movie and be like well does that did that scene did that exchange pass (laughs) yes no okay let's move on to the next line of dialogue have any observations on this no okay (laughs) let's move on what if we just did that for all of Indiana Jones and we're just like okay minute 75 uh no women no women let's move on no women in that. only men yep. only men what about just like a taboo buzzer just like eh, oh. you know <laughs> i thought it was mostly buzzer that's what i thought the podcast was just dings and buzzers oh yeah we should have been implementing that from day one i don't know why we didn't think of that <laughs> Uh, but we're talking we're, we're talking about fried green tomatoes today. And the voice you just heard yes. is that of comedian, journalist, host of Newsbroke on AJ Plus, host of the Habituation Room podcast. It's Francesca Fiorentini. Hey. Hi. Hello. Welcome. Man, I'm so excited to talk about this film. Thanks for being here. We're psyched. Thank you for having me. It's a tr- it's a treat. And thank you for bringing this movie too. This has been a fairly popular request. It's been requested to us many times over the years. And it's the day. Mm-hmm. So we're talking about fried green tomatoes. What is your history with this movie? Okay, so I watched this when it came out. So in 91, and I was like 11, mm-hmm. 10 around then, but kind of mm-hmm. like, yes, I missed some of the jokes around like women examining their own vaginas. <laughs> And like marriage, marital stuff, you know, it was me just mm-hmm. like looking at my teddy bear like <laughs> totally, you know, like what am I, I don't, didn't really get that, but I definitely understood how moving, how important this film was, what it meant about female friendship, how men are trash. Um, <laughs> have you read the book? Has anyone re- read the book? I, we have not read the book. I have not read seems. the book, but I <laughs> have read a lot about the book there is there is a lot of really really uh interesting complicated context between the book and the film and i love a good adaptation discussion mm-hmm. that said i have not read the book shit i wish i had <laughs> cool we're all in the same boat um but yes we have a fair amount of context uh yeah. about the book oh that we my do document about. is horrifying this week <laughs> uh Caitlin, Jamie, what what's your, your oh. oh we're so southern polite we're kathy you're Bates. so polite <laughs> No, after you, after you. Oh, thank you, thank you. Uh-huh. Um, I saw it for the first time. It was one of those movies that, as a young film student in college, I was like, this is an important movie. I need to see it. I need to have seen it in my life. I watched it once as a freshman in college, I want to say. It was one of those ones that I 
saw but don't know if, how much I was like actually paying attention to it I only remembered the cannibalism at the end yes <laughs> yes I suffered the same only remembering that <laughs> yes. this movie yes I remember enjoying it. Um, a lot of times I will remember my response, my emotional response to a movie more than I remember the movie itself or the story or anything like that. Um, I remember enjoying it, I but I just didn't... I had no recollection of what the story was about, and I had only seen it that once. All you had for years was just secrets in the south. Yeah, right? <laughs> just in <Okay>. your head. <laughs> I feel like, and I'm curious to hear back from our listeners, I feel like this is actually something that is pretty common in terms of just how, I don't know, sometimes with with movies, no matter how well done they are, and this movie does a lot of things very well, uh, that there is just one completely unrelated thing taken away from the movie that people are like, yeah, that's what I remember. And I also only remembered the cannibalism. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I saw this movie, uh, I have like a very lovely memory associated with this movie in spite of the fact that I don't really remember what happened, obviously. Uh, But my grandma showed me this movie. Um, She was the best. She loved showing us movies that she liked and talking loudly throughout them, which is probably why I don't know anything that happened in the movie. Uh, (laughs) But this was like a movie that I watched at her house in Maine when I was like, maybe, I don't know, like maybe maybe around the same age, like 10-ish, when you're like allowed to start watching these movies, Uh, Mm -hmm. but like with your relative. So I watched it with my mom and my grandma and they didn't get along, but they got along for the duration of this movie. And it was a really nice memory. And I miss my grandma and I didn't remember anything that happened in the movie except for the cannibalism. Maybe that just (laughs) has to do with being very young when you see this movie. We're so, I, I mean, for sure, a great deal of it was over my head. Mm-hmm. And also my grandma was most likely t- just talking at volume screaming yeah, about how cannibalism was going to happen. That's my Well, guess. I love how you're like, these <laughs> movies, when you are allowed to watch them, and by these, I mean movies about cannibals. Right. You remember that time <laughs> when your grandma and grandfather just sat you down and like, you're like, okay, honey, <laughs> it's time. There is like, there was like a time, I think it was around the time I was like between nine and 11 where like my mom, cause my mom was very in control of like my media diet and she would be like, okay, we're going to start introducing mature themes. You know, like sure. this was like one of those movies. Light mm-hmm. petting. Light petting, light petting. Cannibalism. Cannibal, <laughs> maybe just the idea of cannibal, kind of a lighthearted cannibalism sure. by a very villainous character. So you're like, oh, who cares? Right. <laughs> Which is a feeling I <laughs> uphold to this day about the cannibalism. Um, <laughs> but in any case, let's talk about what happens in the movie. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> let's do it. So we start in rural Alabama in the, I believe it's set in the 80s. Yeah, I think it said and when the book was written, so like 87-ish. 87, yeah. Movie comes out in 91, but yeah, I think it's sort of a period piece by like four years. Weird. Um, And we meet Evelyn Couch, a.k.a. Kathy Bates, our queen. Woohoo! And her her husband, Ed. Um, They go to a nursing home to visit his aunt, who hates Evelyn, so she starts to wander around the nursing home and runs into a woman named Mrs. Threadgood, but she goes by Ninny. Yes. 
And Nini starts to tell a story about a murder that took place many years ago. Yeah. Moida. And you're like, oh, it's a little Julie and Julia. It's a bit of a story within a story, mm. which I also fully did not remember. <laughs> Me either. I did not remember that. But I thought Kathy Bates was right there with everyone else. I was wrong. I feel like the the parallels between fried green tomatoes and Titanic are many there and you also (laughs) mentioned you also mentioned uh the notebook as a movie with Mm -hmm. parallels i saw some parallels with portrait of a lady on fire also the poster for this movie kind of leads you to believe that all four of the female leads are together in the movie because they're all on the poster and it's kind of photoshopped to make it seem like they're together Mm. looking at the poster you would believe that it is four women and a freight train that star in the movie. I just see a, a green tomato in this poster, but it does make me think that a tomato is a main character. So I would get, <laughs> I get the confusion. I will send it to the chat. One of the main posters for this movie is four women in a freight train, and you do have to hand it to them for not putting a single man on the poster, but also being like, we have to include the train. The, train. the murderous train, perhaps mm-hmm. the the. That train keeps, it's killing teenagers. It's ripping limbs off of kids. This train hates men. (laughs) Totally. Feminist icon, this train. This train. Yeah. (laughs) This train listens to the Bechdel cast. We don't endorse (laughs) killing beloved brothers and and sons. I I think that the actions of the train were... rather ruthless and especially because the the men and boys who get killed or injured in the story seem to be perfectly nice and respectful she doesn't choose her targets very well that i'll say about this train she (laughs) needs to like there are men in this community who deserve to be hit by a train yeah yeah, i mean we there are many members of the kkk who should have been there's the clan and there's (laughs) cops and there's racists yeah but they're just hitting people. In fact, this train seems to have a very specific vendetta against people named Buddy. True. That's true. This it's- train. Oh, <laughs> I'm quickly not on board with the train anymore. Uh, what was she thinking? Bad. Bad train. Bad train. Bad. <laughs> okay. Anyway. <laughs> Also, I was like, is it progressive for uh, the sudden death of a teenage boy to change everyone's life? Because in every movie, it's we have to kill Shailene Woodley or how is this guy going to learn a lesson? And we have to kill Mandy Moore in A Walk Mm. to Remember or how is this guy going to learn a lesson? In this one, we kill Chris O'Donnell with a train right away. And then she learns the lesson of. I'm a lesbian. <laughs> I don't know if Chris O'Donnell getting hit by the train teaches her that, but it does move things in that, <laughs> you know, it keeps these characters together. Uh, okay, so what's happening in the story? Um, <laughs> Nini, Nini starts to tell a story from her past to uh, Evelyn, a.k.a. Kathy Bates. And we cut to a flashback uh, as she's beginning to tell the story. We are now in post-World War One era. We meet Iggy Threadgood. Uh, she's a little girl. She's a tomboy. And then we also meet her beloved older brother, Buddy. Buddy is in love with Ruth Jameson, who is played Change by... Change from the book. What? Change from the book. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that is not the case in the book. Um, but in the movie, they are little lovebirds. Mm-hmm. 
Ruth is played by Mary Louise Parker. Mm. And one day they're all out for a stroll and Buddy gets his foot caught on the railroad track and he is struck and killed by this bad train. It's extremely old timey and sad. Especially because you see a very quick shot of him finally pulling his foot out of his boot and you think he's gonna survive but then he's still killed and i was very confused on the physics of that it was a strange editing choice to include him getting out of the boot i don't know if that was a part of the book Mm -hmm. the way it was edited i thought that he had survived and maybe would be like injured but okay but they were like Mm -hmm. nope he didn't he's he's dead rip yes and he's on the train tracks because he's trying to get ruth's hat Yes. Yeah. It's starting to blow away and you're like immediately you're like this is bad. This is bad. What if the train and the hat are working together and it's like collusion <laughs> okay. and they're trying to kill okay. all the buddies of the world. <laughs> yeah, crime green tomatoes. This is This is This is this Most is really things funny. named buddy I feel like are dogs. Let's just be like yeah, Airbud. Yeah, exactly, Airbud. Because we just <laughs> roasted the editing on this movie, I just did a very the quickest Google of my life brag, uh, and <laughs> so there is a a uh, female editor on this movie, Deborah Neal mm-hmm. Fisher. Her resume is so extensive. She edited Sonic the Hedgehog this year. Whoa. She she edited. Two thirds of the Fifty Shades of Grey franchise. She edited mm-hmm. every Hangover movie. She edited Baby Mama. That's she incredible. edited uh, all of the Austin Powers. Uh, she she's Whoa. just she's edited Yumi and Dupree. She's edited all sorts <laughs> of movies. So just if you were worried that she lost work because she showed Buddy getting out of his boot and confusing us, um, she did not. She's fine. She's fine. In every single one of those films, someone is hit by a train. I think if, if the common thread... That's her signature <laughs> thing. Even if it has work. nothing to do with the movie, she edits it into the movie. She writes... Yeah, well, editors are often, you know, the real authors. <laughs> <laughs> it's weird. I don't remember Sonic the Hedgehog ever getting hit by a train, but in this movie, he does. <laughs> I think of all the movies, that's the one I would definitely assume it happened in. <laughs> Dupree for sure gets hit by a train. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you, me, and... Du- what? Name like, a Fifty Shades movie where Dakota Johnson doesn't get hit by a train. It's <laughs> it's her trademark. So okay, so back to the movie. Um, he is he's killed by the train, and Iggy is heartbroken over this. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also around this point in the story where we formally meet Big George, yes, um, as well as less formally meet his mother Sipsy. Cicely Tyson. Yep. They are two black people who work for the Threadgood family because they're like a rich, wealthy white family who has help. Mm -hmm. And Big George does a lot to look after Iggy specifically. Um, Okay, so the story is unfolding. But just then, Kathy Bates' husband comes in and interrupts a typical man. And we see them go back home a little bit. Evelyn Couch has been going to these marriage counseling classes, I think. She's kind of trying to connect with Ed better, but he's not into it. He does not appreciate her. This whole plot point, we'll come back to it. (laughs) And only counseling women. 
all together, not couples. Yes, the husbands are not present. Yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. no, no. Ed is asked nothing, which I appreciate that commentary. But they, I, I feel like the movie kind of goes out of its way to make women trying to get in touch with their sexuality better to seem uh, ridiculous and perhaps hysterical. I didn't like how those were framed. Oh, sure. Anyways. Yeah, we'll talk about it. Yeah. Um, so then sometime later, Evelyn goes back to the nursing home and hears more of the story from Ninny. So we flash back to Iggy, who is all grown up now, and she is Mary Stuart Masterson. And she has not really recovered from the loss of her brother, Buddy. And Ruth, who, again, was Buddy's young love, comes around and befriends her. We see them getting into all kinds of hijinks. They're giving out food to poor people. There's a scene with honey and bees. They play poker. They get drunk together. Things like that. I love the bee scene so much. (laughs) It truly, I was brimming with anxiety. Oh, I loved it. And though the movie never makes this explicit, it's pretty clear that uh, Iggy is a lesbian who is falling in love with Ruth, and Ruth also loves her. Yes. And we'll talk about all of this later. But um, Ruth gets married to a man named Frank Bennett. Mm -hmm. And we already know from the beginning of the story, based on what Ninny said, this is a kind of murder mystery about Iggy being accused of murdering Frank Bennett. But we don't yet know how or why or when or anything like that. And Mm -hmm. then we meet Frank Bennett and we're like, thank God he got murdered. Yeah. He's terrible. He is a truly, truly a piece of shit. Yes. So she goes off newly married. They move to Georgia. And after a few years, Iggy drives to Georgia to pay Ruth a visit and discovers that Ruth's husband is physically abusive. Mm. So Iggy gets Ruth out of there with the help of Big George and says to Frank, if you ever touch her again, I'll kill you. Mm-hmm. Ruth, who was pregnant when she left her husband, I'm sorry, Caitlin, has the baby. Say? Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. That's Ruth, sorry. who was pregnant. That's right. Sorry. <laughs> I don't mean I don't mean to like tone police, but you did say that word wrong. I said the word incorrectly. She was pregnant with a a Greg named Buddy. Um Right. That's just his nickname though. His name is Greg. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and then uh, Iggy and Ruth open a restaurant, the Whistle Stop Cafe, uh, where they oh. served fried green tomatoes. I love That's the it. name of the movie. Mm-hmm. Yay. And barbecue that Big George makes. This becomes important. Frank shows up a couple of times trying to get his baby. Uh, his baby. <laughs> and He's one Greg. night we see him... <laughs> One night we see him being knocked out by a shovel, I think, which he then presumably dies from. Well, because, he, yeah, he's trying to kidnap a baby. Yeah, he's got baby basket in the hand. He's yes. he's about to make away with the baby. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's also a member of the KKK, we find mm-hmm. out. So we are not yes. sad that he dies. Oh, yeah. Uh, later, some police from Georgia show up mm-hmm. to the cafe to see if, Iggy or Ruth know anything about Frank's disappearance and they're like no and he's like well I don't trust you but I do love your barbecue nom 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 (laughs) and then Iggy tells Ruth like you don't have to worry about Frank coming around anymore 
And Ruth is like, well, did you kill him? And she's like, no, I didn't. <laughs> no, but I know he's for sure dead. And Yeah, but I definitely know he's dead, Poor but I won't Ruth. tell you why. I felt for Ruth in that moment because she's just like, okay, I don't think you're a murderer, but you're sounding awful like a murderer. And mm-hmm. Mary Stuart Masterson is like, just be cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Please stop asking. Yeah. Yep. Then several years pass, and one day Frank's pickup truck is found in a river. So Iggy and Big George are arrested for his murder. Mm. And she is tried, but the judge throws out the case because he's like, well, you know, Frank just probably got drunk and drove into the river by accident and got eaten by river creatures, which... It seems like... Iggy is such a beloved person in this community that the judge kind of just didn't want anything bad to happen. Yeah. Like, that was my read on It was the role of the priest, remember? Yeah. Right, because the priest kind of lied, and then the judge kind of did a bad job, but it, like, worked out the way it should have. Right, it works out well for the characters who we are rooting for, but I'm also just like, is this how the justice system worked in... 1933 no not at all definitely if there was a black man accused of killing a white man he probably wouldn't have gotten off and especially if there was a white woman who everyone knew was gay that's not what would have happened but look this is hollywood all right this is fantasy yes this is amazing that's why this movie rules Mm -hmm. (laughs) things turn out the way they should except ruth dies yeah and like human flesh breaks down into a great sauce somehow that no one can taste well we don't know we don't know we you know we don't know we We, have we ever tried it ask the train (laughs) we don't it might (laughs) um but yes uh justice was served to the characters who Mm. we like yes meanwhile back in the present evelyn has begun this journey of kind of self-liberation. She's knocking down walls in her house. She's crashing her car into other people's cars. She goes back to see Ninny, who continues the story about Iggy and Ruth. Uh, Ruth has gotten sick and dies of cancer. Which is so sad. So, so sad. sad. Heartbreaking. That, I was bawling. It was, whew. Yeah. Rough. Story of the ducks. Yeah, the duck story. I'm like, this story is so boring and I don't get it, but I'm crying. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then back in the present, Evelyn thinks that Ninny has died, but it turns out that it was just Ninny's roommate at the nursing home who died. So Evelyn goes to find Ninny, who tells Evelyn the final bit of the story, which is that it turns out it was Sipsy who killed Frank Bennett. And Iggy and Big George, bar- do they barbecue his body or do they turn his body into the sauce? I was not super clear about that. There is a long night of di- like Robert Durst style dismemberment that takes place that we yeah. don't see. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But they go full Durst that night and we just don't have mm-hmm. to watch it. And I'm fine with that. Sure. Totally. In any case, they feed his remains to the cop who had been investigating Mm -hmm. his disappearance. So that's like the big reveal at the end of the movie. Hence the cannibalism that Jamie and I remembered. Yeah, that's the story. Uh, Let's take a quick break and then we'll come right back. Focus. 
Bonus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. The Home Depot wants every mom to have their own outdoor oasis this Mother's Day. Whether that be a new space to relax or a beautiful garden upgrade, at The Home Depot, you can give mom a gift that's as unique as she is with a stylish and comfortable place to entertain or relax for the mom who does it all. And with convenient delivery, you won't have to stress over getting it to her either. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers for the mom who's great with gardening? Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in our patios, walkways, and gardens with the Home Depot's Mother's Day Savings Event happening now. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Start your Mother's Day shopping and saving today by checking out the Home Depot's extensive selection online at homedepot.com or directly in-store near you with convenient pickup and delivery options. See homedepot.com delivery for details. The Home Depot, how doers get more done. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu and we're back uh that sounded like hey what's that movie they're back what's we're back a dinosaur story oh that's poltergeist we're here no i don't know we're Mm. so young so we just don't know (laughs) um you forget uh yeah i think it's poltergeist sounds right but she says something like they're here (laughs) Uh, i think a good place to start talking about this movie is the way it was adapted because I feel like that leads into a lot of the discussion that kind of needs to be had about this movie so there's there's Mm -hmm. so much context for this movie and a lot of it is very interesting and some of it is kind of frustrating Mm -hmm. so we have the very rare example here of the author of an original work co-authoring a screenplay that is amazing. Uh, Fanny Flagg, mm-hmm. who I wasn't familiar with her, but now that I learned more about her, she's awesome. Uh, she is mm-hmm. she is a uh, queer writer and comedian who like got started in the 60s, uh, went on nice. to become a really popular game show personality on Match Game. If you grew mm-hmm. up watching Game Show Network with your grandparents, uh, that was a thrill. <laughs> 
and uh, later in her career was openly uh, an out lesbian who had, I mean, just a murderer's row of girlfriends. She (laughs) dated Rita Mae Brown, another really famous queer writer, and a really famous soap opera star named Susan Flannery. If you want to look up the relationship between the three of them, it's very interesting. Not necessarily, Mm -hmm. (laughs) not relevant to the podcast, but I was hooked Mm -hmm. in any case she wrote this novel in 1987 and then uh was approached by the director of this movie john avnett to write the movie herself she had never written for the screen Uh, i feel like this is very rare for uh any marginalized writer to get an opportunity to go from zero to writing their own screenplay of their own work um Mm -hmm. so that's incredible she enlists her friend Carol Sobieski, who also wrote uh, the script for Annie. Uh, They work on it together. Carol, unfortunately, passes away before the movie comes out. But they are both Mm. uh, honored with an Academy Award nomination. So Mm -hmm. it's it's a beautiful story in that way. What I do think is interesting is, um, and again, we haven't read the book. So if you have read the book and you have a more detailed, nuanced take, I'm just going off of the academic pieces I was able to find about the adaptation mm-hmm. of this. And although uh, Fanny Flagg is a, an openly queer writer, there seems to be a lot of debate on, um, I mean, for sure in the movie, it is coding, coding, coding till the end of time mm-hmm. coding. Mm-hmm. In the book, there does seem to be a little bit of debate. It is definitely less coded but it is also never explicitly stated there are some fans of this book who say it is not coded it is very clear but the wording that fanny flag uses is a little obscure so there are some people that argue that it's still coded i don't know Mm -hmm. i haven't read the book it's my understanding that the word lesbian never appears in the book but other pretty specific indicators that explicitly say that they are a couple who are in love and romantically involved are very present in the book. So there's, again, the debate gets kind of really nuanced because people who are fans of this book are like, go super hard. And I was like, in some forums. And yes, so from just what I read, it seems to me like it is not coded in the book, but they also, like, people were like, well, they never, like, kiss. There's not a lot of physical interaction or affection shown in the book, mm-hmm. and so some people are like, it's not it's not explicit enough because they are not, like, you know, they're, they're a married couple that aren't kissing. Hello? You know, so there mm. there's all that. <laughs> but there are these very, like, to me, like, very romantic passages that I was like, oh, I should read this book. Um <laughs> There, here's a quote from the book. Oh, and also the, the word like wife, girlfriend, partner, that never comes up. Uh, they are pretty exclusively called friends and business partners mm-hmm. in the book. So, you know, if you're a fan of the book, let us know. So, okay. When Iggy, is, this is from a scene when Iggy um, is upset that Ruth is leaving to go marry Frank Bennett. Uh, towards the beginning of the book and she says oh no you don't love him you love me you know you do so it is it is way more explicit of like Mm -hmm. don't marry him stay here be my girlfriend but so yeah wow that's very different than the movie yes yes so I think it's really interesting like an interesting case study that Fanny Flagg wrote both that passage and this movie where the relationship is presented very 
differently. 1991. Very 1991. That said, this movie did win a GLAAD award yes. for portraying a lesbian relationship. So I, hmm. it was, mm-hmm. I think, clear to queer audiences what this movie was. But it isn't explicitly stated, even less so in in the movie than in the book. But it also, it's, I don't know, it's kind of, it was an interesting watch because, like, watching it, you're just like, oh, yeah, they're obviously in love. And they're like, Mm -hmm. you know, this is like this longstanding, you know, marriage. They have a child together. Like, it's... They raise mm -hmm. a child together. They run a business together. it's very... Yeah. But but it, I mean... (laughs) It's coded. I couldn't remember looking back and when I rewatched it, I couldn't remember whether they ever kissed. And the time when they would have kissed, I think, is when they were like drunk and lying by the river bank and talking about how she's going to probably have to get married soon. And they, you know, she was, it's her birthday. She's like, yeah. I mean, I mean, Mm. she kisses her on the cheek and then uh, Ruth does and then jumps into the water and it's all very, oh my God, it's, it's lovely. But. But I the relationship it. is so deep, even though there is, I mean, it's physical. They're like, they have a food fight. And that food fight was... The director makes... Director John yeah. Avnet saying, I think on the DVD commentary, that he was in, he intended for that food fight to be seen as symbolic of lovemaking. Yeah, which, which I do think is, first of all, it's like, um, sir... How are we supposed to know that? It is it, <laughs> it is like a really sweet scene. And I love Mary Stuart Masterson and Mary Louise Parker play so well off of each other. I like fully mm-hmm. buy that they are in love and they're like, it's so sweet. But it's like, if you're a viewer in 1991, you're like, they were in a food fight. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah. That was not, it wasn't, they weren't, weren't like, ah, uh, you know, like it wasn't, that was him <laughs> being like, that's sex. You're like. Sir, have you heard of sex before? In any case, if you view, if you know that that is how he was thinking of that scene, it is kind of interesting to watch because right after they are like caught having a food fight, yeah, the cop friend comes mm-hmm. over at the, who is pursuing Iggy and says like, "This isn't right. Women shouldn't be doing stuff like this." And mm. if you're reading the scene as a food fight, it's a very strange comment to make. But right. but <laughs> if you're reading it as uh, they have a relationship with each other, I do believe that that's how he viewed that scene i just think that it's weird that he thinks that that re- that is an extremely clear read for a viewer because i don't think it mm-hmm. was but i love that scene it's very sweet i love i love them yeah i just think all the all the language in the film that refers to iggy is both it's like 1991 and then very jim crow south like 40s 50s language around like she's different she's a little weird she's not like other girls you know she wears pants like there's just a lot of like hilariously (laughs) you know skirting around the fact that she's gay and pretty much everyone knows it it is funny there was a lot of elements of Iggy's character uh, that reminded me of Catherine Hepburn characters um, where Mm. like so many Catherine Hepburn characters were just thoroughly, thoroughly, thoroughly queer coded. And it was through Mm -hmm. like the tomboy aesthetic. It was through like all these coded phrases that, yeah, that are just frequently used to just avoid letting a queer character be 
a queer character. I also found right. an interesting Mary Stuart Masterson apparently is the realest one of all time because uh, I was able to find <laughs> an interview that she did in 2017 with queer writer Kate Arthur, who also mm-hmm. wrote a really great piece about this movie and just breaking down yes. what it meant for its time. But she does a great interview with uh, Mary Stuart Masterson and it straight up asks, like, you know, t- she says, because she loves this movie, Kate Arthur uh, is like, this is a like a movie for lesbians. Like, don't you agree, <laughs> essentially? <laughs> and Mary Stuart Masterson responds with like, some kind of like righteous frustration and says that uh okay so i'm just reading from kate arthur's piece here Mm -hmm. the movie is as masterson once told me quote unquote redacted so mary stewart masterson says quote it wasn't a love scene but they were like clearly a love relationship type of fight or jealousy there was some more sensual kind of stuff in there we were clearly playing that so there are deleted scenes from this movie that make the relationship Mm -hmm. more explicitly clear even though it seems like much like in the book the language of you are my wife this is our marriage that Mm. was certainly Mm -hmm. not going to be in the movie but like relationship scenes were in this movie and then later cut uh she goes on to say uh at that time it was just about friendship i think at the time when it was released if it had been labeled frankly that way i think the fear was maybe that it would have alienated all the people older southern women who had those kinds of permanent lifelong friendships the aunts who lived together but never married would have been alienated from watching it and allowing themselves to love the characters i think i think that they might have been afraid so that was Mary Stuart Masterson's take, and she is just generally yeah. frustrated that they weren't allowed to be in a relationship because she says Mary Stuart Masterson and Mary Louise Parker were like, yeah, we were, <laughs> the characters were in a relationship and we played it that way. Right. So <laughs> I don't know, though, that response from Mary Stuart Masterson, like, I appreciate her frustration, but her thinking it's going to alienate, like, old Southern aunts who live together romantically that threw me a little bit like I don't think that's who it's going to alienate like if anything they would be the people who would potentially connect most to this movie like if it's going to alienate anyone it would be homophobes which in 91 was a large portion of the population so like to me it's clear that the movie was trying to play it safe and appeal to a larger audience by making the relationship between Iggy and Ruth way more like subtextual and implicit. The movie is very feathered edges. I mean, it, it sound the story is cool. I bet the book is way better because the movie version is super Hollywoodified, like, you know, mm-hmm. cue music and yay, we're not going to get too deep. We don't know the relationship. Like, it's just it's not edgy. It's probably not what would have even though it's edgy, but not edgy. Um, <laughs> ah, good one. Not what 2020 might have done to the story. Exactly. So going even deeper on what, so I was like, okay, well, how does Fanny Flagg feel about this? Because she wrote a queer novel that does, you know, goes all the way up to the line of saying, these are, this is the relationship. This is a marriage that takes place. How does she feel about the changes that were made to the movie? We know movies get written all the time and shit gets cut out. And so it's not like this is, you know, her complete script that was shot, right? Mm-hmm. But she, again, kind of surprises you with what her answer is. She she has said kind of 
throughout that she was basing Ruth and Iggy partially on relatives in her own life. She's from the South. She said it was based, at least the idea for them having a business and running a business came from her family and not a queer relationship. But she's she's a queer writer writing about a queer relationship. So in any case, mm -hmm. uh, someone asked her this question in 1992 of like, how do you feel about the relationship being far less explicit? And she says to Entertainment Weekly, uh, quote, it's a mainstream movie. People are taking children. They're taking old people. It speaks to everybody. That's why it's wonderful. They can make up their own minds, which is very mm. much the vibe of the reviews of this movie. Because I was curious about like, well, how did an audience receive it? Was your average, you know, film bro journalist just kind of like not picking up on it? Like, what was the vibe? Mm -hmm. Almost every review I read were well aware. They're like, oh, this is a queer relationship. But they kind of toe the line in the same way that Fanny Flagg does and says, well, you can see this as a relationship or not. Either way, I liked the movie. <laughs> but it's very, like, wishy-washy in the way that it's approached. Um, you would think that would have just dropped after they didn't win an Oscar and just be like, you know what? <laughs> Fuck you. It was gay the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> There's like this review from Ty Burr that says, uh, it, it's also in Entertainment Weekly. He says, like in the novel, Tomatoes uses female friendship as a metaphor for something taboo. But the story is in no way diminished if you choose not to buy into it. There are hints of earthly desires, nevertheless. I'm like, okay, the most virginal thing I've ever read in my whole life. But, <laughs> but, but like that is kind of the tone of how this movie was received by critics of like, I, I really liked it. Seems like there's a queer relationship. I didn't think about it too hard. Night, mm -hmm. night. Like that was just yeah. the vibe. <laughs> I had a, I have a couple additional quotes from Fanny Flagg about the movie saying that, quote, it's not a political film at all. It's about the possibilities of people being sweet and loving each other. Another quote, it's a story about love and friendship. The sexuality is unimportant. So, But even outside of the queer relationship, it's very explicitly a political film, like, and a book. Right. So, yes, on a, hmm. on a number of levels. Yeah. Exactly. I, I'm the most interested in what the, this queer relationship meant and means for Evelyn in the 80s. Like, would Evelyn, if Ninny told her, like, yeah, so then we slept together, you know, would she be like, <laughs> ew, you know, would she freak out? Like, I I'm curious in the book how they play it for Evelyn. You know, is Ninny mm -hmm. sort of dampening down that part for Evelyn? Does it say anything about right. Evelyn's sexuality and her relationship with Ed? <sighs> I have to be mm -hmm. honest, I kind of, like, don't, care that much about Evelyn or her life I I do I, I'm like a fan of that character and we can we can talk about her in a bit but like yeah that is uh, that is something I hadn't fully considered because like Evelyn does go through this sort of like liberation and like is that due in part to kind of learning about this queer relationship yeah. and because a lot of what Iggy does in addition to having a woman as her lover um, she's challenging the status quo in many other ways as well like you know how she presents herself how she dresses she doesn't go to church right. she drinks she gambles she plays baseball she fishes she does a lot of things that would have been considered unladylike she's cool by like 
polite she's society and especially in this era and especially in this region but yeah she's like she's like fuck all that i'm gonna do whatever the hell i want mm-hmm. i'm cool that is an aspect of her character that i really appreciated oh, i love her i love she reminds me of a katherine hepburn character but the twist is she doesn't have to marry any old guy at the end like it's, <laughs> it's cool she doesn't have to marry carrie grant yeah, i mean even down to the and this is like a trope that i'm kind of less fond of but it does kind of line up with that Catherine Hepburn parallel I'm trying to draw here of like (laughs) she is like the wealthy daughter of a white family that understands like the working man and that that is like another hallmark of that kind of character archetype that Iggy kind of plays to a a T here Mm -hmm. where she does come from a lot of privilege uh but yeah she's she's not like the other girls it's very it is yes well what i also what i think is particularly interesting about this whole situation and adaptation and what gets omitted and not is that like if this movie was like almost made like 20 years from now and it was the exact same thing we would almost i think we could like look at it like wow look how normalized their lesbian relationship is like look they're just (laughs) they're beloved members of the community everyone loves them right like (laughs) And like by not identifying, like not being like, and they're definitely lesbians together kind of normalizes it. But it's not what's happening in the movie, because in the context of when this came out in 91, audiences were so conditioned to expect hetero relationships between a cishet man and cishet woman in mainstream Hollywood movies like audiences were not at all conditioned to expect queer relationships we were so starved for queer visibility on screen that like media needed to then and still needs to actually identify characters as queer so that we have that clear visibility and we can we as audience members know that about those characters again we're hopefully we will move to a place at some point on the road where there is more normalization but but that's a really interesting thing that you that that's a really interesting point right there because here you have this queer women woman writing this story that she she's like i want this to be universal and we're talking about it on a podcast about the bechdel test which never gets passed in movies Mm. and now it's like well can it only be passed if two women are in a romantic relationship with one another like is that is that the minus you know in the mathematic equation it's like unless they're fucking it doesn't count you know what i mean like (laughs) Well, the context of the Bechdel test, which first appeared in Alison Bechdel's comic Dykes to Watch Out For, Mm -hmm. 1985, her characters were talking about how they saw so little visibility of lesbians on screen in movies that they had to imagine that two women talking to each other about something other than a man, if that happened in the movie, they'd be like, well, now we can ship them together as lovers. And that's what spawned the Bechdel test. Which is so... Well, yeah, mm. it, it like is maybe one of our only movies we've ever covered that connects it pretty exactly of like, this is what the Bechdel <laughs> test was actually supposed to be about. This is also like a kind of a big cultural moment for movies of this nature and this exact framing of like friendship, friendship, friendship. It's just friends because Thelma and Louise comes out just I think a few months before Fried Green Tomatoes. Mm -hmm. So 91 is huge for movies that have a huge cult following today and a pretty significant queer following that at the time were very framed of like, 
friends, friends, <laughs> which, well, it is interesting because I think that the framing device is truly just two women becoming friends in a way that I found to be like really effective and like lovely and sweet of like, oh, these are, it's an intergenerational friendship. They're able to help each other through different phases of life and struggling with aging and all this stuff. And like, that was so beautiful. But it is like frustrating to see what is pretty clearly a queer relationship kind of not, not that like friendship is a reduct, but like when you're in a relationship with someone, you don't want someone to be like, that's your friend. That's your business mm-hmm. partner. Like, right. no, this is my, I'm raising a child. All you do is fry tomatoes together. We're doing, <laughs> we're, we're rearing a child. We're not just frying tomatoes here. Like, uh, yeah. Well, I kind of wanted to bring up the Hayes production code. Ooh. It's not the most applicable thing to this movie, but I think we see remnants of it in movies long after the code was lifted. Mm -hmm. So just a little background from someone who has not one but two degrees in film. Thank you very much. (laughs) I hate to bring it up. I feel 18 again. I was like, oh, the Hayes Code. (laughs) So the production code was a set of censorship rules, more or less, that films had to abide by in order to get any kind of wide theatrical release. This was enforced from 1934 to, I believe, 1968. Um, And the rules were such things as, like, there could be no graphic violence, there could be no swearing, there could be no overt sexuality. Mm -hmm. When it was lifted in 1968, it was replaced by the MPA rating system, which is like the Rated G, rated PG, rated R, PG-13 came later, etc. This is according to, again, our, our favorite scholarly website, Wikipedia. It says, in terms of homosexuality, while the code did not explicitly state that depictions of homosexuality were against the code, the code barred the depiction of any kind of sexual perversion or deviance which homosexuality fell under at the time. Mm. Gay characters on screen also came to be represented as villains or victims who commit crimes due to their homosexuality. So I feel like part of it is just kind of the cultural climate around queerness. I mean, during this era, as well as many years before and after this, most filmmakers who have historically been cishet white men either had no interest in including queer characters or felt like it was too big of a risk to include queer characters because of the rampant queer phobia in our society. Even Fanny Flagg is referencing, like, this movie is for everyone, and the subtext being, well, like, a queer relationship can't be in a movie for everyone because it is something that is othered. Right. I don't want to dig into her personal life. It does seem, because she dated uh, another really famous lesbian writer Mm -hmm. who did not code anything, it seemed like this was kind of a, a tendency in her work of wanting to write in a universal way, but the definition of universal kind of ended up othering her own experiences, um, which isn't fair. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, like, could have been her also caving to societal pressures to conform to heteronormative standards. Or maybe she did try to push back more and just wasn't able to get results. Yeah, I mean, and in that same really good BuzzFeed essay that I'll refer you to again, it's called Why Fried Green Tomatoes is a Lesbian Classic. Yes, lesbian. That's the title. 
Uh, it's really <laughs> I fun. read that too. But um, <laughs> Kate Arthur is also putting this in, and Francesca, you also kind of referenced this because it applies in a number of ways in this movie. But like, this was a movie that came out like at at the height of the AIDS epidemic, and uh, when you know the mm. the first Bush administration was completely. Uh, completely ignoring an epidemic that was ravaging queer communities and this was a queer story however coded that essentially outside of the whole cancer death ended well and ended beautifully and they were accepted by their community Mm. and on Mm. i mean and we haven't even started to talk about the the race plot line of this movie but you know Mm -hmm. a black man is brought to court and he is successful and in beloved by the community and like just it's societally speaking kind of like a fairy tale especially for when this total fairy tale like where and when this takes place you have to imagine none Mm -hmm. of this would go the way it goes yeah but right. but I wasn't framing it in like, oh, yeah, 1991 is especially for like in a movie market where there are not certainly no like lesbian relationships being released in on a massive scale. And to like this movie was so successful. It like made its budget back 13 times or something like that. Mm. And it kind of like frames everything in this like and it all basically ended well and everyone had a beautiful relationship and except for Ruth went on to live lovely lives and they met Kathy Bates maybe because Jessica Tandy is Mary Stuart (laughs) Masterson. That is definitely not in the book. And that is confusing. Yeah. That twist ending, I thought, was excellent. I mean, there's just, like, that layer of the plot of Ninny being Iggy, Iggy being Ninny is so good. And I just want a sequel where we find out what happened to Iggy in between all that time. After Ruth dies, Mm -hmm. but before we meet her in the retirement home. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's definitely, it's made, there's a clear distinction in the book that, Iggy is not Ninny. The fact that it's suggested at in the movie is something that I think a lot of the fans of the book absolutely hate. Yeah. Um, but not all. But Readers uh, aren't better that's... than watchers, everybody. <laughs> I just want the you Titanic to know. reference, I thought the second I saw that like reveal of like, it was like, the woman in the picture is me. <laughs> You're just yeah. like, that is so what happens. It's the woman in the picture was her. Okay, fine. She has a picture of Mary Louise Parker on her desk. Whatever. Like, it didn't bother Mm -hmm. me, but I also, if I had read that book and was a big fan of that book, I would have been really bothered by that change for sure. I don't know. My main take, like, there's, my takeaway from this movie is I still have a crush on Mary Louise Parker after all these years. Mm -hmm. Uh, She (laughs) is so beautiful and so funny, and I am in love with her. We got to take a quick break, and then we'll come right back. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. 
The Home Depot wants every mom to have their own outdoor oasis this Mother's Day. Whether that be a new space to relax or a beautiful garden upgrade, at The Home Depot, you can give mom a gift that's as unique as she is with a stylish and comfortable place to entertain or relax for the mom who does it all. And with convenient delivery, you won't have to stress over getting it to her either. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers for the mom who's great with gardening? Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to Bring out the most in our patios, walkways, and gardens with the Home Depot's Mother's Day Savings Event happening now. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Start your Mother's Day shopping and saving today by checking out the Home Depot's extensive selection online at homedepot.com or directly in-store near you with convenient pickup and delivery options. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. The Home Depot, how doers get more done. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. And we're back. Uh, one quick thing, and, and then we'll move on. The, the one other movie change that they very explicitly made for the adaptation that I'm like, are you serious? Was that they changed the introduction of Ruth is she's introduced as a love interest of doomed brother Buddy who gets hit by the train. Mm-hmm. In the book, I think in a way that takes a layer of coding away she is not introduced as like you know a girl who's interested in a guy she's in, she's introduced as like mm. here's a girl who's staying with us for the summer and that's just it uh, mm-hmm. but in the but the movie kind of goes out of its way to say that she is interested in men uh the first time we see her mm-hmm. so yeah i guess according to the movie she is bisexual but also straight but also question mark because it's for everyone it's annoying I read, too, that in the book, we have a clear understanding of why she marries Frank Frank. Bennett, which is that she and her mother needed his financial support or else they would have uh, probably had to experience homelessness um, because this part of the story takes place during the Depression. So a lot of people had fallen on very hard financial times. So Ruth in the book marries Frank because she needed a financial support system. Yeah. Another Titanic parallel. Yes. Yeah, they could have given, I think, Ruth a little bit more backstory. Iggy had so much backstory, yeah. and Ruth was just kind of appeared in the movie. But then she's um, And that would have been a nice I love detail. when Iggy is fishing, and Ruth <laughs> is like, come on, spend time with me. It'll be fun. And Iggy's like, fine. And then they fall in love. And she's like, fine, get on a train with me. We're going to be socialists, redistributing uh-huh. the wealth. And then Mary Louise Parker gets all wet, and it's just a good movie. Um, <laughs> yeah. 
Okay, so uh, this will sort of bring us into the next area of discussion is another thing that is done Mm -hmm. in the book that is very Hollywood whitewashed in the movie is in the book. And again, I was not able to find a ton of hyper specific details. Uh, Caitlin, let me know if you have more than I do. But in the book, Mm. the black characters in this community and in the lives of Ruth and Iggy have actual stories and they're I mean they just are more characters than they are in this movie because Mm -hmm. there are so many scenes in this movie where black characters are actively involved and present where they do not have dialogue where you are Mm -hmm. not really given a look into what they're thinking how they're thinking there is at least one character from the book that doesn't even end up in the movie at all Mm -hmm. and yeah I was just I mean especially when it's like you cast Cicely Tyson and you're not gonna you're not gonna give her anything to do when she can do anything it was yeah so this this movie is like heavily whitewashed yeah the one thing she does ends up happening off screen for the most I part. Know, and it's the best. <laughs> <sighs> yeah. This is kind of a classic case of a story that is about white people in which there are a few black characters who are kind of there to serve as scenery or to help and serve the white characters. Mm. Uh, we never learn anything about their lives in the movie. I don't think we even learn Sipsy's name until like an hour into the movie. Way late, yeah. You don't, it's not... I don't think it's established that Sipsy is Big George's mother until the very end. Mm-hmm. Like, so we don't even know what their relationship is, is exactly. In the book, she's his adopted mother. And then there's mm. also a sister-in-law who doesn't appear in the movie. There, There's like a whole family. They have a whole family dynamic in the movie. In the, sorry, mm-hmm. in the book that is just kind of done away with yeah. in the movie entirely. Yes, it is annoying that it's not actually more present, but like they are pivotal in the actual like what happens, the killing, the sauce eating, the cannibalism. (laughs) It's pretty cool. Which makes it like even more frustrating to me that they are in spite of the fact that like it's clear that the material being adapted, Big George and Sipsy are really active characters. But in the movie, you don't actually get to see them doing much. It's a plot point that you don't see what what sipsy does right Right. it's a really weird storytelling choice to make an extremely pivotal moment in the story of of like sipsy killing frank bennett so have her be have her character be very important in that regard but prior to that barely i mean she will be in the background she'll be she's present but she's not she's in ever given the focus they're putting cicely tyson in the background too many so much too much Uh, there is one scene in particular where i feel like these problems are especially on display and again we want to hear from our black listeners of of what you made of every choice this movie made as well um Mm -hmm. but there is the sequence where basically we we find out that frank ruth's ex-husband is in the KKK mm-hmm. and that the KKK is inciting violence against Big George. Mm-hmm. Uh, also right outside the store, but it takes Mary Stuart Masterson a very long time to hear it for some reason. <laughs> it is happening right. literally right outside the window, but whatever. Uh, so we, it's just this whole scene that is pivoting around KKK violence that somehow ends up becoming about the relationship of the white women in the story. Like yeah. our our takeaway from 
a KKK violence scene is that we are very concerned with the personal lives of these white women. I love mm-hmm. those characters, but that just felt so... It's the Hollywoodization erasure also. I mean, I just think like yeah. in the same ways that this film sort of appeals to people's homophobia and like sort of dances around it and coddles it, it sort of coddles people's racism too. Like we're not going to have these characters say or do much more. In fact, all they're doing really is being like super ride or die for Iggy and Ruth for no right. reason other than they're employed by them. I mean, it mm-hmm, seems right. right. But it's like, but, but, but we still will put our lives on the line. You know, Big George is beaten and and whipped by the KKK. But and you kind of assume it's like, well, uh guess he loves Iggy and Ruth. Like, right. Uh, we are told constantly yeah. this great relationship that Iggy has with Big George, but we are not shown it. No real estate was no. was dedicated in the story in the movie version. We never see them have a conversation that's just the two Barely. of them. Barely. Yeah. Or if it is, it's just like a very impassing like you know how's the barbecue today you know yeah it's just it's not it's very inconsequential i thought big george got her out of trouble once like he goes to meet with her am i misremembering there's oh well here's a a troubling scene to me where after iggy has discovered that ruth's husband is abusive and she basically goes to rescue her she brings Mm -hmm. big george and her brother julian yeah Mm -hmm. and they show up and you know frank is being an abusive asshole and julian the brother says you know i wouldn't do that if i were you you might upset big george and he's crazy and then it cuts to big george pulling out a knife and that to me was like because there's been so much propaganda perpetuated by white people throughout the centuries painting black men as brutes and as violent like perpetrators of violence yeah and for them for him to like use that and be like he's gonna kill you look how you know big and scary he is is basically what's being implied in this scene i was like oh no right again this this book and movie take place in this kind of willful fantasy version of the depression era south but Mm -hmm. this is the jim crow era like there are so many and it's it's lightly referenced by characters we're supposed to like uh there's who is that guy that guy grady uh, oh, are we supposed to like him? I'd love to I talk think about we Grady. Are, <laughs> I think we are supposed to like him, which Ugh. is wild because he uh, is homophobic and racist. Uh, and a cop. There's and a, a cop. He's a cop. And in, there's also a reference to like, and you and your boys, when you put on your, your you know, <laughs> your sheets and you walk around. Like, She's like, you're in the KKK. And he's like, shrug. Yeah. Like, like, oh, Grady's <laughs> also in the KKK. He's 100% in the KKK. Yes. But, but it's like... Uh, Iggy hangs out with them a lot. They do a talent show together. So mm-hmm. I don't think that we're supposed to hate him. Cause no, right. no, we're supposed to like him. Yeah, I think <sighs> we're supposed to like him. And so that is a thing. So, I mean, I guess maybe that is one of the more realistic characters. But it's 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 frustrating. I mean, and again, it the author of this book and both of the writers of this movie, everyone, I mean, there is, there are not uh, many black people behind the camera for a movie that is trying to make a statement on race. Mm-hmm. Uh, Fanny Flagg is a white writer. Carol Sobieski is a white writer. And I was not able to find a ton of uh, writing to how race is handled in this movie, but it is deeply Hollywood. It ignores the historical context in the same way that the queer storyline ignores the historical context, which is kind of seems like it's very intentionally done 
to give mm-hmm. you a storybookish ending to, I mean, Alabama in the 1930s, mm-hmm. not a place known for its tolerance. Yeah, if it didn't gloss over those two things, it would be a completely different story. Yeah. Right. It would not have, I mean, it doesn't have a happy ending, but it would have even less of one. And the catharsis of, I mean, it, it is, movie-wise, the catharsis of an evil KKK abusive husband like name one thing that frank isn't he's every bad thing packaged mm-hmm. into one character it is very satisfying to see him and get turned into sauce get and eaten and eaten <laughs> right so which so in or a, not see him but imagine <laughs> right <laughs> so in every way it's satisfying to see him like really defeated there's no doubt that this movie wants him dead but in order to get there, there is so much context that is just ignored, skimmed over, and it happens kind of at the expense of us getting to know uh, the black characters in this movie. I feel like it mm-hmm. is like a problem that starts foundationally with the book, even though the book, you know, we know more about them. We know more about their character journey, but it's, you know, everyone involved in the telling of this story for the most part is a white person so they do seem it's very much like uh, a backdrop hey backdrop characters and uh, Mm -hmm. even though they're pivotal in what happens in the story and kind of a comfortable second class citizenship you know not they're not comfortable but like the story Mm -hmm. is comfortable with the second class citizenship which which is I would say probably historically accurate for that moment like I'm not the idea that some a white woman like Iggy would be both friends with a cop who also sometimes moonlights in the KKK, but he's not that much of a dipshit like Frank is. But he has a crush on her, right? Right, like, and is homies with, like, you know, the help, quote-unquote, right? Like, that feels real for some... Like, I feel like there might have been many, many Iggy's who are like, well, I'm not going to treat the person who works in my house as inhuman... But I also have to, like, get along in a small town with this cop who does something I don't agree with. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think, I mean, people contain multitudes. (laughs) And sometimes those multitudes are extremely contradictory. I'm not interested in the multitudes of, like, a racist cop. Like, ugh. I mean, I wasn't alive in the 1930s, Bragg, Bragg. but I have to imagine that that wouldn't have been uncommon. Sure. Where it's weird because, like, among her things that, like, show her kind of challenging the status quo, in addition to, you know, she dresses in, like, kind of masculine clothing and stuff like that, she employs black people in her cafe and has a like black section in her restaurant and you know Grady comments on that and he's like well some people around here don't like it that you serve black people at your restaurant and she's like well those people can go fuck off yeah um so like she's shown as being an ally I guess by 1930s standards but right I mean those standards were just you know not enough (laughs) it yeah. And I, I just, I mean, I know I keep coming back to this point, but the fact that they, if you haven't had the pleasure of reading about Cicely Tyson's life, first of all, she's alive. She's 95 years old. Hell yeah. She is but an award away from an EGOT. She's like a true legend. Mm-hmm. And the fact that she is like, she was so well established when this movie came out and it was a big deal that she did the movie. And then they gave her nothing to do basically for the whole movie um is 
an injustice that I will not recover from. She's also still working, right? She's on How to Get Away with Murder? Yeah. 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 Well, she was. Yeah. I don't think that show's on anymore. But it was. I mean, it was. She's. Oh. She is. Um, <laughs> she's thriving. She was also in The Help. She was in she The was. Help. Uh, which we. Oh, let's. Uh, we can't cover that movie ever. I. But <laughs> we probably. We probably will. But I mean, it goes to show that like prolific black actors such as her have to take roles such as the one in this movie such as the one in the help because that's right. often all that's afforded to black actors is these underwritten or tropey black characters which is tragic even though she had a really small part as sipsy she crushed it like yeah, yeah. she did she did a she did a good job you're right she needed way more screen time Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, I, I feel like in the movie, we just truly don't know enough about her right. where Big George, what we do know about him is that he has like worked in a service role for Iggy's family for a really long time. And then he kind of just goes with her through life and is with her because it's like if Iggy is at home, he's working for that family. If Iggy is running a restaurant, he he's works there. at that restaurant. Like. Which is also kind of never explained. It's like he works where Iggy is. And and going back to Cicely Tyson, I it she had been nominated for an Academy Award. And just I mean, there is so there I'm gonna reference a video that I need to pull it up and remember the name of the YouTuber, but there's a really good YouTube channel that I like that examines Best Actress Oscar races year to year mm-hmm. um, that has done a lot of work in examining, especially when women of color are nominated for uh, Academy Awards, uh, their careers go very differently mm. than a uh, white actress who is nominated and then just gets roles, 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 roles forever. Nominated, mm-hmm. not necessarily winning, just nominated. Not even necessarily winning. Yeah. So Cicely Tyson, she hadn't won an Oscar at this point, but she had been nominated. And the fact that she can you know, achieve that level of prestige and still be relegated to such a small kind of like there's not much for her to do in this movie, mm-hmm. I don't like it. <laughs> It's bad. In conclusion, hump. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I think we need a reboot once again. She's, she's still around. Right, Sipsy she's back the, in. Not a reboot, yeah. but a remake. That's what it is. A remake. Okay. Yeah. Do Sipsy justice this time. Yeah. Okay. But, uh, we haven't talked about Kathy Bates yet. No. Oh, yes. That's the oh, other God. big thing. So oh, with Kat, I love Kathy Bates. I do like Evelyn's character a lot. I enjoy her evolution over the course of the movie, her character arc, because she basically goes from a like polite, subservient Southern woman to like learning to be empowered and learning independence. And this is happening while she is hearing this story from Ninny. So it's like learning about like becoming friends with Ninny and learning about Iggy and Ruth is like part of what empowers her to enact change in her own life. Yeah. Yeah. Take charge. Yeah. There's just some great scenes, you know, the scene where she's imagining wearing all cellophane. Oh. The cellophane. <laughs> to greet I, her husband. I'm like, how did I not remember that oh, shot? Yeah. But I remembered the cannibalism of it. That was incredible. <laughs> I, I will say, I, by 2020 standards, watching a white woman freak out in a grocery store brings up a lot of Karen 
images. Sure. A new context. A new, yeah. So, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, is this the origin story of Karen? Like, you know, they, oh. they too much Tawanda, too much Kathy Bates. No, but uh, she's going off on other, you know, younger, hotter ladies, Karens, or Beckys, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> right. just kind of the next generation of Karen, but she's... Yes. Yeah, uh, she she's going up against. But that that like you know it's the eighties, feminism won, and yet I still make my husband dinner every day, and he grabs it and sits down in front of the TV and doesn't pay attention to me, and there's no love in our relationship anymore. Like mm-hmm. I was feeling that, you know. And she's trying. She's going to these yeah. classes. She still mm-hmm. thinks it's her, and then she just stops giving a fuck and. That's when everything's wonderful. And she starts to like, yeah, I don't know. She just kind of takes charge, you know? She's just like, this is a part of who I am and I'm going to embrace it. Um, And yeah, I like that, like, again, the evolution of what we see where first she's taking these classes to help her with her marriage, which, of course, she, as the woman, is expected to do all the emotional labor of fixing anything about their marriage, and then he gets to just, like, sit at home and watch baseball all day. Then her friend, Missy, is like, screw this, we need to... Wait, what does she say? She's like, what we really need is an assertive training class for Southern women, but for you, Evelyn, that's a paradox, because you're living in the Dark Ages. (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. and Evelyn's like oh no so then they start to go to these I guess these assertiveness training classes for southern women and these are kind of cartoony where the woman's like okay now take off your underwear everyone and look at your vagina I remember this scene from being (laughs) a little kid I was like what that's a thing but like I mean, I don't know. Was that a thing? I I, th- I didn't. I think I mentioned this earlier. I thought that the way that the other women in that class were characterized was like kind of cartoony and not super fair. It, it did feel of, like they were so aggro. And then I think Kathy Bates's character is supposed to be the voice of reason of like, well, I'm all for feminism, but this is a bit much. Like that is kind of. I uh, choose I don't to know. read it as because Kathy Bates's character is so repressed that it's going to feel very cartoony and absurd to like get to know your body and to learn to be Mm -hmm. empowered at first. But then she does a 180 eventually where she's like, she gets a tiny, like I'm going to shoot some men. Like, yeah, I'm so glad that (laughs) Frank died. I'm like, fuck all the wife beaters. Their genitals should be shot off. Like she's going on this like tirade to Ninny and Ninny's like, Oh no, what have I done? (laughs) He's like, Oh my God. She stresses Ninny out. I I like that Ninny, uh, in some of it is like a little bit like, uh, I feel like advice you would get from a grandma, uh, which mm. makes sense because that is, Ninny is a grandma. But I, I love that there is, I mean, their whole storyline is just like two women at different phases of aging, being comfortable with themselves. And like Ninny offers her wisdom about like, oh, have you considered, like, taking hormones if if that is going to make your, like, process of going through menopause easier? Try that. And Mm -hmm. Kathy Bates is like, oh, You're going through the change. (laughs) She's going through the change. change. And then she said something that sounded so much like my grandma, which she was just like, oh, you're unhappy with your life? Put on some makeup. Get a job. Eat healthier. <laughs> I was like, okay, Grandma. But like, but but it's you, very hormones, sweet and though. it's very well-intentioned. Mm. Dude, hormones. my mom would be a different person without hormones. Less <laughs> hormones. I am not looking forward to the change. I'm going to need all the hormones I need. <laughs> 
but I like that there's no the way they talk about it. There's no even though Kathy Bates's character is like not comfortable having these conversations at first there's not like really any stigma around it they're just talking about it if kathy bates doesn't know something she says so or she's like oh what and then ninny just explains what she means and then kathy bates says oh and like ninny's never trying to make her feel bad about herself Mm -hmm. and she's so comfortable in who she is i love it that's exactly right like it's it's less an exploration I mean, it is very gendered, but it also is just like, oh, just being comfortable with who you are and finding yourself and realizing you're, you don't have to be the perfect wife and it's not on you to do all that emotional labor. Mm-hmm. Super liberating. I wish she dumped Ed. Yeah. Dude, I know. Ed was not going to, do you think Ed was going to improve? No way. Mm-mm, he's not going to redeem himself. I like when he threw the sushi. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. That That's my <laughs> he favorite scene. He, he's like, it. what the hell is this? And she's like, it's a low cholesterol meal. Happy Valentine. And <laughs> he's like, are you trying to kill me? And then she's like, if I was going to kill you, I'd use my hands. And she's like bouncing around on this little exercise trampoline. It was yeah. perfect. I really enjoyed the guy who played her husband. I really enjoyed his performance. I had never seen him before. He's been, done a lot of character acting, but I mean, I thought he he was he's great. a blast. Yeah, his uh, he, he gave a, a great performance. He knew exactly what he who he was playing. Mm-hmm. Best line is one of the best lines. How in the hell do you hit a car three times on accident? <laughs> on accident. <laughs> <laughs> I really like that. I mean, that scene, and that scene is like kind of a little cartoony and portrays uh, younger women as just evil shrews that will just whip <laughs> their head around and be like, deal with it, old lady, mm-hmm. which uh, I have never seen happen. But, uh, <laughs> you know, it for, for, for her character growth, the caringness of it all is very present. But it is also kind of satisfying to watch her deliver that weird, like that smug insurance line oh, of like, she's well, like, I'm older and I've got more insurance. Now you're being classist, <laughs> Kathy Bates. But I, I get what they were going for. I was on board just because of how like Kathy Bates can just give the line read of a lifetime yes. and then do something oh. fun. And like, I'm never not going to love that. Like when she says, um, I'm too young to be old and I'm too old to be young. So it's like, good. I already I feel that. I felt that so hard too. <laughs> <laughs> and it's weird though, because when I first it's watched so this as a like 10 year old, in a way, I mean, God, that all, I mean, yes, the movie does a lot of things poorly, but representing women in their 40s and in their 80s, mm-hmm. they did a pretty good job. And it was like, oh, that's interesting. Oh, that's a whole yeah. stage of life, eh? Oh, marriage, not going to do that. Oops, did it. Um, then undid it. Um, but like, there's a lot of that that I think sticks with you from a younger age. As a young woman watching this, I think uh, it's nice. We don't have a lot of that sure. now, De- yeah. and definitely not in the early '90s. And not, I don't um, know now. Like, what if? What are some solid like women in their 40s films? Like, I didn't see Steel Magnolias then, but I saw Beaches. Will look back definitely problematic, but forty-year-old mm. women-centered, and I'm like, I don't know. Movies now are like, no, you're just supposed to be twenty-eight forever, <laughs> right? <laughs> right. I mean, I, book club. <laughs> that's but that's women in their seventies. It's they're like there's older, no yeah. in between. I I don't think that there there's still not a lot of like. I mean, I feel like it maybe in indie movies it's more 
but it but a lot of times it's i think that there is uh, i wish i had more like receipts to back this point up but maybe maybe you'll both see what i'm saying <laughs> I, I think that there is a lot that there is like a lot of like we see a lot of actresses over 40 but they're very rarely playing over exactly. 40 where they're like wow this is so cool. She's over 40 and working, but she's playing a 28 year old. Mm -hmm. Like, so, you know, women being allowed to play roles, their age is still, I don't, I think we're still, there's a lot to be desired. desired. And I mean, yeah, yeah, there are just hardly any roles written for women characters who are 40 and above. So the fact, yeah, the fact that like this movie uh, focuses on two of them, Wow. They should have focused on Cicely Tyson too, but yeah. whatever. Yes. Where not whatever. I just am hung up. I just <laughs> love her. Okay, um, and and again, this is. I, and I feel like it proves every time we cover a movie featuring a uh, First Wives Club is another example of like a movie that features women over forty, and these movies always do super well right. because people want like older women want to see themselves represented, like and it. Like this movie did incredibly well, and and I think the other trend that is connected to getting movies made about older women is that the only way a Hollywood studio will greenlight it is if there are huge stars attached. Sure. Where movies about older guys, you can kind of have been in like you could have played a corpse on NCIS twice, and they're <laughs> like you're hired. <laughs> but for these movies, like I and again, First Wives Club is a good example. Like so good. three really incredibly popular actresses had to sign on to that movie for it to be possible. Kathy Bates and Jessica Tandy had both been nominated for Oscars in the last two years when this movie was greenlit. Mm -hmm. So they were at this time, especially they were like, Oh, for sure people will see a movie like, yeah. Yeah. And, and you have to imagine that if they were not kind of, at the top of their game critically at this time, like it would have been a lot harder to get a movie like this made. Mm hmm. But yeah, there's definitely not enough like good substantial roles written for older women where they can talk about that, you know, where aging can be a theme and not something that is like, oh, it's a huge success if you're able to conceal the fact that you're aging versus discussing it in detail the movie. Mm -hmm. So their relationship is really nice. Yeah, I wish that... uh, you know, I, I mean, I don't know how this would have been financially possible. Maybe that's why she doesn't dump Ed. Uh, but she still, no, she becomes a very successful Mary Kay yeah. worker, yeah. like all of my friends' moms. So <laughs> where's the problem? I She should have kicked Ed out and then been like, all right, Ninny, you, we're roommates. We're best friends. Ed is going to have to make his own dinner from now on. Mm-hmm. That's ya. the ending we needed. That happens. Yeah. I like to imagine that happens. Yeah. That's my head cannon. <laughs> <laughs> the fun the last thing I wanna say is uh well I I think we would be remiss not to mention um Ninny's horrible purple hair dye job that she gets <laughs> from Okay, judgy. <laughs> that was very judgy, but she is objectively living to the fullest. <laughs> she likes it and that's what matters. Yeah. Um, the other I, thing I did, la- I did cackle when that happened because you just like don't see that coming, and then it's not super relevant to the plot, no. so you're just kind of like, <laughs> like. Well, it, I think it's part of it is like 
showing that Evelyn is still abiding by these like this like southern politeness mentality of like oh this is awful but I can't say anything because I'm too polite but also like she's not going to be like your hair looks like shit ninny because it like I don't think anyone would say that I work for Mary Kay now (laughs) fix your face ninny (laughs) deal with it uh, this is also high visibility for um, makeup products at home. Like this stretch of years, because we have we have Edward Scissorhands, Avon Lady, yeah, and then a year later, Mary Kay gets throws their hat in the mix, uh-huh. and they're like, "No, guess Avon who?" <laughs> Anyways, they're both MLMs, so <laughs> whoopsies. Um, well, as we hinted at a lot, the movie definitely does pass the Bechdel test. It is uh, passing between Evelyn and Ninny tons. It passes between Ruth and Iggy tons. Almost, yeah. Almost every... Per- I mean, I, I feel like outside of discussing the murder or Ed, men do not come up that much. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. Right. Which is great. I love I love that mm-hmm. for this movie. <laughs> Unfortunately, though, it uh, if we're applying like the Vito Russo test to it, it does not pass because the characters are not mm-hmm. identifiably queer. That's one of the mm-hmm. contingencies of that test. Um, it and it certainly does not pass the DuVernay test right. because um, black characters are just not allowed to be full characters. Right. They are only there to serve the white characters. So with that in mind, mm-hmm. let's go to the nipple scale. Yes. So zero to five nipples. Examining the movie through an intersectional feminist lens. Mm. I would give this movie, I think, three. I would have gotten higher had it not mishandled the representation of the black characters and sidelined them and failed to give them any kind of interiority or deeper characterization. I think it, it would have gotten more had the character's been allowed to be identifiably queer and let us see some actual kissing. Let's see them embrace. Let's see them be romantic with each other. Keep the food fight, but give us a, a, you know, a kissing scene. Let Mm -hmm. the food fight Mm -hmm. turn into into a a steamy (gasps) sex scene. Don't start. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) But I do, I do really like the character, the female characters that we get to know love Kathy Bates, love the Ninny character. I love Ruth and Iggy and their relationship. Would have liked to have seen more Sipsy, of course. Also, we didn't talk about this character, but there's a character named Smokey who seems to be a person experiencing homelessness. He's characterized as like a depression era, like drifter type. Uh, and while he doesn't play an enormous role in the story, I appreciated that some work was put into humanizing a person experiencing homelessness because so little media does that. Yeah. Um, there's a lot to love about this movie, but it is very much of the 1991 Oscar bait frame of mind. Yeah. 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 So. Yeah. And the Oscar bait, I feel like real, I mean, a lot of the choices this movie makes, I feel like directly ties to the Oscar bait element of like, if the Academy is going to think that we have gone quote unquote too far, 
then what's the point of making it? Which is like, it's like that to this day. But it's also like, I probably just edgy enough for 91 that it's like, but like we're doing something. We're making statements here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There are a few lightweight statements being made for sure. Yeah, but we look back on it almost 30 years later and we're like, well, yep, that was 30 years ago. That's just, that's where we were. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so yeah, three nipples. Um, I'll give two to Sipsy, and I'll give my remaining nipple to Kathy Bates. Uh, yeah, I'll I'll go with three as well for this movie. I think you know, f- for its time, it's doing a lot of things that a lot of movies aren't doing. Where I mean, I I do think it's like a huge deal that a queer writer was given authorship over her her own mm-hmm. work in a film adaptation and that there were like resources put behind it uh i think norman lear's production company was involved which oh. famously very progressive like wonderful person so that's great uh but i d- i do agree i mean i think that it's like pretty clear that uh white people are the creative force behind this movie because of what it gets wrong or what it erases or and and they Cicely Tyson and then they don't use her and they don't even show her the biggest moment for the character for like suspense that doesn't who cares about the murder mystery really <laughs> like that's not really why we're here um like you're saying I want I want an actual queer relationship I like it's so frustrating to know that like the actors playing these characters were like thinking that and were this was informing their character, but the finished product is not allowed to show mm-hmm. that. So that's frustrating. Uh, but I really enjoyed this movie. It made me cry a lot. You never see women talk about aging on screen. You don't usually see a lot of intergenerational friendships. I always think that that's really nice. And it was done in this like really lovely, not condescending mm-hmm. way. Um, you also get, um, there's not much body diversity, but with Kathy Bates, you know, she's, she talks about kind of her insecurities with her size and is it handled the way we would want to see exactly? Perhaps not, but the fact that... The language is very 91. Yeah, yeah, she, yeah. she does a bit of fat shaming of herself, which is something I've done a lot throughout my entire life. She also has a line at some point where she says something like, I just wish I had the courage to get really fat, which is another thought I've had quite a bit. Uh, so, you know, I just, I, I, I guess I just found her, her attitude toward her body to be very relatable. And then part of her evolution is like, well, I'm not gonna, she's like, I'm gonna start exercising. I have to change the way I look. And then she refers to her like former self as a blob from a horror movie. So like, which I don't love. I do. I do think that at very least it's framed that she is like doing the exercise stuff for herself mm-hmm. and not for her husband, which is, I, I don't like the language she uses around it, but I did appreciate that they made it pretty clear that she was making these changes for herself and she was like happier for sure for having made these changes for herself so in that way i was like good for kathy bates yes this movie is is lovely and it and i really i mean when ruth died i was i I was so invested in that relationship and when ruth dies i just cried so Mm. much um so i'm gonna give three nipples as well i'm gonna give uh one nipple to cicely tyson i'm gonna give one and and then uh i think i just i love Mary Louise Parker, mm-hmm. so much. I'm gonna give her the other oh, two. Yeah. yeah, I I want to know what Mary Louise Parker has to say about the film. She's the one person 
don't think we have heard from. Yeah, I wonder. Let's call her. Yeah, give her a little ringy poo. <laughs> yeah. Come her. over. <laughs> Francesca, what about your nipple rating? What do you think? I'm going to give it four nipples, but only because I am new to this and it is very much stuck in time. It is stuck in 91 interpreting the 30s and it is mm-hmm. Oscar bait. And I don't expect all movies to be all things to all people. It is very problematic in a lot of ways. But I think you got four very strong and very different female characters. Evelyn, Ninny, Iggy, but maybe they're the three. Maybe they're the same. And Ruth. Mm. And they're excellent. Yeah, would have loved more Sipsy. But you got four strong female characters with backstories, with interesting lives, with all these things. You get four. They have a bunch of conversations that don't involve men. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and make me cry three times, <laughs> four times. However many times. Needed yeah. to be more nipples. If they had actual mm. nipples, you'd get the five. If we had That's seen true. some steamy sex scenes, yes, yeah. would have really boosted that. Because, okay, so, Francesca, because you asked, I was like, has Mary Louise Parker said anything about this? Uh, she did say something <gasps> about it in 2008. So this was on Ellen uh, <laughs> 12 years before she was handily canceled (laughs) but anyways mary louise parker goes on ellen ellen asks her about this movie mary louise parker says uh you know i love my lesbian fans um and then she talks about something that is not so she so we know that uh and then she goes on to say later in the interview that um or the after ellen interviewer i don't know who was doing interview whatever uh do you ever wish the storyline on fried green tomatoes was a little bit more Mary Louise Parker says, yes. Well, in some ways I do. I tried to make it a bit more articulated at the time, but they didn't mm-hmm. want to go that way. And in many ways I wish it was. Then in some ways I think maybe the audience wouldn't have gone there. So I don't know. I have mixed feelings about it because I really tried to push it at the time and they didn't want to go there with mm-hmm. me. Wow. Um, and then after Ellen asks, who didn't want to go there? And Mary Louise Parker says, no one. <gasps> Uh, and then after Ellen says, not even your co-star and Mary Louise Parker says, oh no, Mary Stewart definitely did. And Fanny Flagg did, but not the director, not the producer, nobody else. But I was really trying to push it and they were like, no. So none of the men, none of the, (laughs) none of the men who get the final say on this project about women. So I, we, we know that the three main, you know, women involved in this storyline really wanted it. And they said, no, 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 no. So maybe Fanny Flagg was being diplomatic in those interviews with those mm, maybe we, um, we should ask her let's let's call her too um well d- director john evnett famously said about this movie and his approach to the relationship between those two women he says quote i had no interest in going into the bedroom and it's like you then get out of the movie stinky you can have sex in the kitchen <laughs> <laughs> as you said yeah um so that's that's that movie. Movie. Francesca, thank you so much for yeah, being thank here. Thank you for letting me talk so much about this film. Where can people oh check out your stuff online, follow your social media, yeah. etc. At Franny Fio on all the things, Twitter, Instagram, and the Bituation Room podcast. Yes. Listen to that, please. Oh, yeah. Listen, that's great. find that. And thank you guys. Thank you. Of course. Thank you for being here.
you can follow us on uh, social media at Bechtelcast on Twitter and Instagram. You can check out our Patreon, a.k.a. Matreon. It's $5 a month. It gets you two bonus episodes every single month. What a bargain. Uh. And you get access to the entire back catalog of our bonus episodes, which is now over 70 of them. You love to hear it. <laughs> uh, you can get our merch over on tpublic.com slash thebechtelcast. You can get a mask now. Pretty mm. fun. Pretty mm-hmm. cool. Um, and we love you so much. Yes. Talk to you next week. Tawanda. Tawanda. Do you love fashion? Do you love getting compliments on how well you're dressed? Are you always seeking the latest trends? Then we're talking to you. BostonProper.com is your fashion destination and the only place to go for all those nods, head turns, and new styles. No matter the day, season, or occasion, Boston Proper has what you're looking for. Sophisticated, confident clothing designed to flatter and get noticed. So visit BostonProper.com now and start creating your perfect wardrobe. Boston Proper. Wear it like no one else. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. This is Raquel Willis from Queer Chronicles. Right now, there are close to 500 anti-LGBTQ plus bills in state legislatures across the country. Lambda Legal is leading the charge against these hateful bills that target mostly trans and non-binary people. You can fight discrimination and help write the next chapter of Lambda Legal history. To learn more about their open cases and to donate, visit lambdalegal.org. That's lambdalegal.org.